Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most diabolical work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Conviction 5.5. Um, Blake has seemingly escaped his uh, prison sentence. He He's made it out of the police station again and is uh, <laughs> calling out to June, who he has managed to leave behind. Uh, breaking another vow, I guess. Yeah, I... I'm going to be honest, I totally forgot about June. Uh, and then... <laughs> Who is she, Rose? Come on. Because <laughs> uh, it's not even that. Then he was, like, calling out to June. And I was like, oh, who cares? Like, you left her there. You can get her when you go back tomorrow, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. And then he yeah. brought up the promise he made to keep her warm. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good point. Got to stop making promises you have no intention to keep, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at first I just thought he was being protective. But uh, mm. this is a valid thing he has to consider now because he's throwing promises around willy-nilly as we'll see a bit later in this chapter yeah um yeah yeah so uh, uh blake has made it out um i i want to call out uh, a uh a line here which i i like and something that kind of brings up something we haven't really touched on since blake and evan fully teamed up um evan shivered if you're cold you could go back to being a ghost i'd rather be alive and cold he said which is, yeah, you know, this is something we haven't really discussed. Like, Evan is kind of alive now, right? Like, he's not yeah. just his stone tape form. He's a he's sentient. He feels warmth. He gets to turn into a bird. All that, all that awesome shit. Um, it, yeah, it's like you don't really consider how much of a good deal Evan kind of gets out of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we've we've had all this stuff telling us how uh, one of the big benefits for others in being a familiar is getting to experience mortal life and. I guess I never really understood exactly what that meant, and we're seeing a bit of it here, but you're right, Evan's exactly the sort of person who gets the most benefit out of this, as someone yeah. who was mortal and would like to continue to do so for a bit. Yeah, totally. But the whole the whole bit actually reminded me as well of when Rose was pulled into Conquest's lair. Like, she had mm. the very similar response when she she was feeling, like, uncomfortably hot and cold and... Yep. And she was just, you know, and Blake was trying to tell her why that was. And she was just like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm feeling a thing. Like, this is so exciting. Yeah, yeah it's nice. We don't, we haven't had that many moments since Blake was, you know, has been in another fire. And obviously is going to jump into another fire pretty soon. But we, we at least get this moment of respite to be like, oh, yeah, you know, like Blake is actually kind of helping Evan out here in a way that is quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, Fell kind of drives up here to pick up Blake and is, you know, being his usual cold self to Blake, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, uh, and and Blake Blake can't even stand up to get in the car. Like, Phil has to come out and help him up. Uh, yeah. and, and But then he notices people noticing him and figuring he's just like a bum, but before yeah. this, people weren't even noticing him. So uh, yeah. that's progress, right? At least people think he's a deranged lunatic now because before they didn't even think that. So yeah. Uh, I guess he's heading in the right direction. Um, but yeah. yeah, we get like a nice little insight into how he, you know, sees himself and, and wants others to see him. You know, he's someone who hit rock bottom and he likes to think he's caught his way back up. And so he doesn't like the idea of people thinking he is still someone at rock bottom, which he, he kind of is now, though, like for different reasons. <laughs> it's not really his fault, but yeah, uh, yeah. No, he's definitely a rock bottom. I mean, like... It's a know. different type of rock bottom, but it's it's a rock bottom uh, in a well, lot of ways. 
I guess we can't technically say that without knowing how much worse things could get for him. Yes, yeah, yeah, rough bottom's the wrong term, but he's not in a good situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's probably in one of the worst situations he's been in so far. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I love this detail that fell <laughs> just just fully, like, double parks, and he he's just, and people, you know, he doesn't even, I get the sense that he kind of could throw some sand around his car or whatever and make it so that people are just like, oh, I'll just drive around this, this guy, you know, but he doesn't, and people, like, are honking at him and getting mad, <laughs> and he just doesn't give a shit, like, he... It's so fun how he, this is, I guess this is another one of his, like, rebellions, right? Like, just, just not giving a shit about mortal laws, because, hey, what's, what's gonna happen? Is he gonna get arrested? I mean, no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, given his day job, I imagine he takes every opportunity he can to assert some kind of dickhead power over everyone else, because it's not like he gets to do it at any other point in his day. Yeah, but he's not he's not a mean person, right? Like he just kind of wants to rebel. It's such an interesting character trait about him. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fell is here to to give Blake a lift, but kind of looks at him and <laughs> becomes reluctant, you know. Uh, he, he thinks, "Hey, there's a pretty good chance that you're actually possessed." Uh, and so I don't have to give you a lift if I don't think that you're you. Is is the logic that he that he pulls out, right? yeah and and blake's best argument is well considering everything i've gone through i should actually be in even worse shape uh, <laughs> well, so that's not yeah an argument it's I not mean, very convincing that, that to me that just means oh well then something must have possessed you to help you not be fucked up um i, I like about this though that it, it's kind of ambiguous whether fell is actually concerned about this or just is like, oh, this is possible, so I'm going to pretend that I think this and then use it to screw with Blake. Or like, since this is theoretically possible, it means I can fuck you over. Porqueno los dos, I think, yeah, is, you're right. is, is my yeah. response to that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is just a, yeah, it definitely could be both. Um, yes, uh, so Blake is obviously annoyed by this and, and kind of doesn't have the energy to deal with it in a lot of ways, and so he turns <laughs> to Rose to, to help out, but... Rose either seems to agree with Fell, or at least thinks, you know, Fell refusing to b- take Blake to fight the Erasure Demon is is a good enough reason, you know, a good way for Blake to not get killed, and she's on board with that. So she's she kind of washes her hands of the whole thing. Yeah, she she doesn't want Blake to go ahead with this, so she'll take any excuse she can get to keep him out of it, basically. Um, and this is yeah. really, I think, the core of this chapter is Blake and Rose and their disagreement on this and how they use it to air like all their grievances. Like the rest of this chapter is essentially a long form argument between the two of them where uh, they both bring out all the stops and continue to agree that the other person does have some points, but not change anything about how they do anything. I think that's true for both of them. Mm. Uh, They are very similar in, in some ways. Yeah, (laughs) they really, now that they are not fighting for their lives, uh, more or less, they're back to their old dynamic, right? Um, And, you know, sometimes I do agree with Blake in some of these arguments, but Rose is just 100% right about this one, right? Like, they're talking about how Blake doesn't, yes, Blake, you can go and fight the Erasure Demon, like you made a vow to Evan, totally, yes, 
but don't do it tonight. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> um, and Blake's just like, nah, I got to do it. Nah, no way. Nah, I got to do it. And and he's not making, he doesn't make any good points. Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't say that. I, I think some of his points are kind of valid, but Rose's are more valid. Uh, like, yeah, sure. She, she pretty convincingly undermines all of his. I mean, the crux of her argument is, it turns out you actually don't have to do this tonight. Yeah. And why on earth would you think that you should have to do this tonight? And Blake yep. doesn't really come up with a compelling reason that it has to happen now, uh, I, I don't think. And yet, even without a compelling reason, you know, he he makes sure it ends up happening. And we'll talk about how he gets there in a bit, but mm. this to me is one of the most, uh, one of the best examples of Blake just having the power and just making what he wants to do happen regardless of what Rose really thinks, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. He he does not not just steamroll her throughout this chapter, but kind of force her into situations where she basically has to agree with him um, yeah. by just sort of relentlessly not giving in. Yeah. Um, it, it was actually sort of, um, reading through some of this bit, I actually realised it, it actually probably is a good thing that Blake promised he'd go back to the police station tomorrow so this is a continuation mm. of a thought from last chapter uh but if he does end up trapped by conquest like if all of this goes to shit which i'd say are fairly good odds yep he'll be trapped by conquest but he's kind of useless to conquest if he's forsworn so conquest mm. will kind of have to let him go to answer the policeman's questions and that's an opportunity to do something if he's trapped yeah, sure. with conquest so Maybe it's not the worst idea uh, to lock yourself in with a commitment tomorrow, but yeah, anyway, sorry, that's a little aside. I don't aside. know if Blake thought that consciously, but you're right that no. it does kind of set something up that could be useful. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think that was his plan, but it, it could work. Um, so on this further conversation, uh, a really interesting point, and I think a, a very valid point that Rose makes is that Blake is falling into the same trap as every other Diabolist uh, that's kind of talked about from, from Black Lamb's Blood, right? He's... He's thinking about, oh, I have to do this now, I have to do this now, and I can't not do it now. And then the next thing comes along that he also has to do now, and, and eventually he's just kind of dug himself in very deep, and he, he never thinks about the future. Um, it's a good point. Yeah, well, that, that idea that you, you keep focusing on the now, and you end up deeper and deeper into the point where you have to make one of those calls that Diabolus are famous for, which is, you know, really bad for everyone. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting, because Black Lamb's Blood comes up again later in the chapter. So I guess, I don't think we knew this until now. Maybe I'd just forgotten, but Rose obviously read Black Lamb's Blood before all the Pose stuff went down. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, she must have. But it, it is interesting, you know, hearing them both argue with arguments from Black Lamb's Blood at various points in this chapter. Uh, it's it's clearly been an influential book in in both to, to both of them. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're both using it to make their points kind of indicates that the lawyer's plan has, at least on some level, worked, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I had to pull out this one line uh, from this argument. I wanted to pull out a lot more. This is this is the one I, uh, I cut myself down to. Um, so, Blake says, I'm coming out of every altercation a bit stronger, with more tools. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, much stronger yeah yeah uh, like, until he until he jotted the with more tools clarification on the end of there i'm pretty sure that would have counted as a lie because uh, <laughs> i think yeah. rose immediately follows this up with something on the lines of you're coming out of these in pieces 
which is yes. literally true uh, on every level. Uh, yeah, you've, normal people don't start sprouting feathers, uh, Blake. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a. I don't think that's getting stronger. Um, but you're right. I, he, I mean, his. I guess what his point is is that you know he's got June. He's got. I mean, not right now, but you know, more or less, <laughs> he's got. Uh, he's the got glamour. Evan, obviously. Uh, glamour. Yeah, I mean, Pows, Pose, and 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 uh, the. The hyena, you know, he bound them, but then, of course, he had to give them away. So maybe that's not great, <laughs> great backup for his points. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, I can kind of see what he's getting at. I just think it's you... it's very <laughs> optimistic. I, I would say, like, it's a very positive outlook on the whole situation. Like, he's he's basically saying these all haven't been a complete waste. Like, I've gotten something out of them, and and, and sure, like, I had to cut myself open both literally and figuratively. But mm. something came out of it, which is, uh, yeah, it to me just <laughs> seems very, like, very glass half full. Well, and the, th- the the thing that he's glossing over is it's not going to fight the hyena that led to him making a deal with Evan, right? Like, him fighting the hyena didn't necessarily need to be a part of that. It's not like June came from him having to fight Laird. I mean, like, he could go and get more tools without the altercations bit right i mean i don't know well, i guess we've he hasn't been in too many situations like you know looking at this with the scientific method he hasn't tested the variation uh where he learns and acquires things without his life being on the line mm. uh, yeah true it's the <laughs> so, only way he knows so there's no guarantee yeah yeah Maybe he needs, maybe he really, you know, he's too complacent or too lazy to do stuff without <laughs> his life literally being in danger. Um, so Blake is close to agreeing with Rose, but of course can't do that. And so kind of forces her into a compromise. If he can, or not even a compromise, kind of delays the decision. We'll drive over there. And if I can convince you that we should go in before we get there, then we'll go in. And if not, no, 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 we'll totally not. We totally won't. It's fine. Um <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think... So, on a level, this does show a kind of trust in Rose, because, you know, the fact that they both have to tell the truth, meaning that she can't just lie out of stubbornness or whatever, Yeah, it does sort of show either trust in himself or her or both that he can convince her and that she will actually hear him out. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But there is absolutely none of this coming back the other way. Rose does not share his his belief in her uh yeah, in her ability to actually be fair. Rose is so willing to give him another chance. And I mean, I guess she has to, right? Like that's the Yeah, thing. what's her choice? What what can she do? <laughs> She'd just say, Okay, no, well I'm not gonna help you and then I'm probably gonna die. Like she's in a terrible situation. Yeah. Um there's actually a bit here. Uh, I think I'm jumping back a bit, but Rose says that Rose Senior admitted to her that she waited too long to pick an heir. And I don't mm. think we saw anything like that in Blake's version of uh, 1.1 with the inheritance ceremony type deal. Yeah. So either Rose had a very different experience in the bedroom with, with Rose Senior before she died, or uh, maybe this is a hint that Rose has uh, had more contact you know, via notes or whatever with Rose Senior than <laughs> than we uh, have have found out about. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, <laughs> we know that like Rose never ran away from home, and she was kind of playing the game a bit. 
I'm I'm pretty sure she didn't go in there and call Granny Thorburn like what was it like a rancid old cunt or something like that. So, yeah, um, something like that. Yeah. I so at least it probably was different in that one way, um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not too hard to imagine that there is another way that it could have been different where she, you know, got a bit more info about this. Yeah, that's true. I. I I want to pull out a, a, a line from Rose, which I just love. And Rose is so on point, this whole chapter. Um, she says, Forgive me for saying so, Blake, but I can't help imagine that we'll get there, I'll say we aren't ready, and you're going regardless. <laughs> which is exactly what happens. Um, uh, yeah, very on point, Rose. Uh, you, you know him well? Very well. Yeah, it's exactly what we were saying before, where it's Blake does seem to have this trust in Rose that she'll actually hear him out, and Rose does not feel the the same at all, and that's basically what and she's saying justifiably here. so. Blake yes. has never... <laughs> I don't think Blake has ever lived up to one of his promises like this, right? Like, he just doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I actually kind of wonder, because we hear one or two words from Evan throughout all of this, mm. but I have to mm. wonder what's going through his head <laughs> as he's watching this, like... There must be a tiny part of Evan that's going, oh, what the hell have I signed up for? Like, Why couldn't I be her familiar? <laughs> well, not even that, just, you know, I thought I was joining, like, a cool team. You know, we did yeah. teamwork before, I thought we were a team, and it's like, no, this is dysfunctional as hell. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I do really hope that that prediction I sort of made way back in the first arc, that we'll see a bit of Rose and Blake swapping roles and control comes true, just because... I really want to see both of them kind of have a taste of their own medicine, I think. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think Rose will enjoy the the fact that she is the person on the front lines with all the controls and who has to make the decisions. And similarly, Blake mm. will be absolutely atrocious at being the person in the back seat. Uh, <laughs> so I think that would be a lot of fun if it does happen. Well, we'll see, I suppose. Um, so Rose eventually agrees to this, you know, okay, fine. I'll give you the car ride to convince me. And then Blake kind of goes to get in the car and feels like, uh, hold on. <laughs> you didn't tell me that you weren't <laughs> possessed yet. I, uh, I'm not on side. Um, and Blake shows him his bird tattoos. And somehow this convinces Fel instead of kind of proving how fucked up Blake is. Yeah, I mean, Fel clearly understands these tattoos better than I do. Because uh, there must have been yep. something in them that told him... Blake wasn't possessed. Like maybe if Blake's possessed, they'd have puppet strings on them. I don't know. They'd have red eyes. That's that's a classic tell. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. There must be something there. Uh. Yeah. But it it works anyway. Yeah. And so Fel lets Blake in, and they head off towards the abstract demon with kind of Blake and Rose chatting, not not arguing. Rose does live up to her end of the deal very well. Um. Just kind of chit chatting about ideas that they could use to take down the demon while they get there. Well, I mean, you say that there is a lot of passive aggressive snark from coming from both of them in this conversation. They're they're, sure. they're civil. They're civil in they're civil in their words, but not at all in their tone. Or wait, wait, there's there's a lot of subtle barbs at each other. But uh, you're right. There's a big focus on on hitness with some of that juicy law that that I love getting mm. uh in this whole segment. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of juicy lore here. Uh, they talk about creation myths. They talk about the seven demon choirs. Basically, a lot of like world building in the in the vein of find trying to theorize more about what could possibly, you know, what could what could possibly make this demon tick, more or less. Yeah, and we finally get the 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 important details on what the the choirs are. Uh, 
for the for the demons and devils and it's basically they seem to map to each of the seven days of creation in like the abrahamic uh genesis Mm -hmm. uh book like each each one maps pretty closely to what god created on Mm -hmm. each of the days uh so i kind of like that it really sells that idea that devils and demons represent like the antithesis of the order of the universe because each one represents the opposite of one of the important parts of that in like one of the more popular uh you know creation myths basically yeah interesting i i I hadn't heard that before but it kind of makes sense looking over some of them now i mean the first one is the choir of dark right which is obviously the antithesis of the first thing that happened god created light you know yeah i I was thinking of maybe doing a monster corner on this at at some point because i I don't want to i don't want to go through all seven uh, i think well we can but um probably well, take a while no we'll leave that as a teaser for next time next time on <laughs> deep impact uh but yeah i i just the, i think the one thing that jumped out to me was uh, i remember Paus's uh marquis was of the fifth choir <laughs> uh which is the feral choir and that yep. absolutely checks out yep makes sense <laughs> um i really like the this whole conversation it's it's like you know we we love to kind of theory craft about implements and and domains and morality and all this random stuff and and this conversation is basically the theory crafting of uh, what what's super effective against different kinds of things, right? Um, they they're basically yeah. brainstorming ideas of how to kind of represent abstract concepts with tangible things, um, which is very fun. Uh, so red yeah. hot chain to make a line of light, a ring of growing grass to counteract, you know, the the entropy and, and decay. Um, yeah, it's it's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pact is basically just a much more advanced version of Pokemon. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not just a simple set of types that's super effective. You you got to get a lot more creative. Instead of knowing what types beat what, you actually just get to make up what is super effective <laughs> against what, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like this little debate they have about science versus art uh, when it comes to mm. being a practitioner. Uh, you know, Blake sort of makes this case that if you let yourself get caught up in the existing rules you stop thinking of new potential avenues, which, you know, has sort of worked out for him so far. Uh, so it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's his whole motivation behind the glamour, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So they've thrown around a bunch of ideas uh, and Blake feels like, hey, I'm getting close to kind of feeling like we can go in there. And he makes Rose shift her goalposts. No longer does he have to convince her. He only has to give her three good ideas and then they'll, they'll be allowed yeah and and so before we get further into that uh i just quickly wanted to point out fell who's sort of in the mm-hmm. background of this whole conversation being being a smart ass uh and and a dickhead and it's it's so nice because it, it's mostly used for comedy and there's so much tension between blake and rose throughout this whole chapter <laughs> i think fell's like assholery is is really the shining light like that, that stops it yeah. from being really like depressing and, and angry uh this whole chapter fell snide interjections are always the funnest part of any scenes he's in <laughs> yeah absolutely um so let's touch on let's touch on the shifting of the goalposts shall we because i feel like you're not as as against blake as i am about it i mean like it, to me it feels like a dirty trick right he said hey let's get here and if i can't convince you then that's it but now he's kind of changing the rules on her to make it so that he he can automatically just get closer and closer to having to just say, okay, well, we're doing it now, you know? Well, yeah, he, he's basically making it easier for himself by saying, yeah. hey, if I have three ideas, 
then you'll say that that's convincing and so then we can go like he gives himself a much easier more quantifiable goal uh where he can yeah. just like start counting off a thing like it, it's very much shifting the odds in his favor uh absolutely yeah I, and i get i get that that maybe is helpful when they're actually trying to come to a decision but you know blake hasn't convinced her really by the end of this right she just kind of has to go along with it yeah she's forced by this blake's like okay well here's an idea and she has to be like well no that's only i would count that as half an idea and some of the things that he's saying are not worth half an idea like he just <laughs> she just kind of has to give him points because what else is she meant to do and and so eventually he gets his three ideas and it's like all right well you know we agreed <laughs> and she's just still not convinced <laughs> yeah yeah you're right he 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 adjusting the goalposts was a great term for it. He kind of yeah. skews the odds further and further in his favor uh, by changing exactly what, or, or by these clarifications of what exactly counts for what. Uh, he he gets himself further and further ahead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so they arrive, and of course, Rose is not convinced. And does he accept that she's not convinced? No, he keeps convincing her. Of course. Yeah, well, I mean, because we have a sort of section break here where uh, they arrive at the uh, oil, I want to say oil factory, but I don't think you make oil. Um, mm. Anyway. he Refinery, maybe? Yeah, uh, but he just sits in the car for like five minutes, basically plotting how to continue convincing Rose, mm-hmm. uh, slash, slash trying to stay awake, probably. Um, but... I know you've got a fairly long quote you wanted to read here, but but uh, mm. I just wanted to get one in as well. Uh, so sure, um, I couldn't help but feel that if I asked, Rose would say no, that she was contrary on a level. That if I said white, her first impulse would be to say black. On a level, that was fine. It was good to have someone to keep me in check. Tiring, frustrating, but good. We don't know enough, <laughs> Rose said. <laughs> we'll never know enough, I said before I could remember to keep my mouth shut. Maybe I was the one being who was being contrary. Now that I thought about it, uh, yeah. which I just I loved. I love this whole bit where Blake is like, "Rose is super contrary," and then she says something, and his immediate <laughs> response is to be like, "No, no, 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 no." Uh, so uh, for me, this actually just highlighted how similar they are. Like, I think I'm still oh, on yeah. uh, the train of they're both kind of stubborn and. A lot of where they're landing for me on these arguments has a lot to do with the roles they're playing rather than inherent differences in their personality. Not, not that yeah, definitely. personality <laughs> differences don't exist, but uh, yeah, it, it, I, just, I just love how similar they are. And they're both so stubborn. They're, they're so difficult to work with. Yeah. And specifically, I mean, when Blake is talking about how he has to, has to, has to tackle the erasure demon tonight, I really do get the sense in that argument that he... You know, like he kind of is only saying that because Rose is like, "No, you shouldn't do that tonight. You can do it another time." He doesn't. I don't feel like he ha- even has that strong justifications for it. He's just being contrary, and he he sees that in Rose, and he just doesn't see it in himself, even though they're so similar. Yeah. Um. I also pulled out a a, a long quote that I'm going to read out here, uh, which is Blake uh, continuing to to talk about Black Lamb's blood suggested it's the Diabolist's responsibility to handle this shit. We've had that responsibility thrust on us, in a way. If we're going to do any good in our short, violent existences, this is one way. Not if you're giving that bound being to conquest, Fel said. 
which is just <laughs> such such delightful shit stirring. Blake is trying to be like, it's our duty, we've got to do it. And Phil's just like, uh, you're actually just giving this away to the uh, terrorist that runs this region. So don't get don't get too high on your horse there, Blake. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. As I said before, I think it's one of the few things that stops this chapter from feeling really dark uh, as Blake and Rose basically argue for the whole thing. Uh, his, yeah. his unnecessary jabs at everyone and everything around Blake are great. Yeah. Um, so Rose gives Blake a chance some, for some reason. Rose says, hey, if you can go and get this thing out of the boot unassisted, I'll allow it. We can do it. Um, and, you know, this is... Basically, the lowest possible bar that Blake has to pass. All he has to do is walk, like, five metres, not even, and this, he, he has to cheat to pass this. He can't even do it. I, like, he, I don't know what is going through his head where he's like, oh, I'll show her, you know, I'll, I'll pretend I can walk five metres and then we'll have to go fight a demon. <laughs> what is he thinking? Yeah, the whole essence of this challenge, and I'm doing, I'm doing air quotes as I say <laughs> challenge, uh, basically represents zero faith in Blake's current physical abilities. Uh, I mean, yeah. And, and that, that point is entirely lost on him. Like, he, he does, he accepts <laughs> it as a challenge, and he's like, I'll show her. And I don't think he realizes that by completing this absurdly simple task with such difficulty and, like, taking such pride in doing something so simple, he's kind of proving her point. I I genuinely don't know how he can't stop and think, oh, I have to cheat to walk to the back of this car. Maybe I shouldn't do this tonight. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe but he I'm doesn't not up even for this. consider it. it. It's basically like, oh, yeah, I'll get one over on her, and then I'll get to do what I want, even though she's totally right. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, there's definitely... Like, like, Blake is just, I guess, at this point where he's just decided he's doing these things, and I, I think he's maybe afraid of what will happen when he stops to recover. Like, he's... Mm. He's essentially taken up so much uh, debt, like not karma debt, but like his like current health debt is massive. And I almost feel like yeah. part of this might be he's just so afraid that when he does finally stop, he's going to have to deal with all the shit he's gone through physically yeah. uh, in the past few days. And that's <sighs> yeah. that's going to be really tough. You know, he doesn't like to slow down and stop. And when he does give himself the chance to start recovering, He's going to have to slow down and stop for quite a while uh, to, to recover. Yeah. I mean, look, we're being hard on Blake. He, he is being a, a, a total jerk, but his heart is kind of in the right place here, right? But he, he just... He, <laughs> I feel like he's just going to make things worse for himself. I mean, Rose said it best when she said, you're just thinking about the now and you're not stopping to think about the future. Like, it's, hmm. he's just screwing himself. Also, self-destructive behavior, at least in my opinion, self-destructive behavior is a little bit more forgivable when you're not dragging two beings that are tied to you magically along with you for the ride. Yeah, sure. Uh, if if he didn't have people who were forced to come with him, I'd, I'd be a little more like, well, you do you. You but do he, you, yeah. Uh, Blake can't you do you. He You does us. and You do you <laughs> plus them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Blake cheats. And Rose, for some reason, lets that... She doesn't seem to notice it. But even the fact that he basically almost fails this with cheating, she seems to be convinced by that. And so they they set to work. They set to work preparing, weaving kind of uh, wreaths out of branches to to start making some stuff that they can use to fight the erasure demon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I more just think Rose has sort of just stopped 
she's given up trying to swim upstream uh and fight blake uh she's she i think she is just sort of giving up in a way and that's not something yep. that's going to be a sustainable uh thing for their relationship <sighs> at all yep anyway but, uh we'll see uh next chapter when i guess they go up against the erosia demon yeah so blake passes the bar uh you know he's able to <laughs> barely weave branches together and is just really drained and is pretty close to death both just on his own level and probably when he goes into that factory. Yeah. It's a shame they couldn't get the neon lights uh, that fell called uh, Marvelously Tacky, <laughs> I believe was his term. Because yep. I reckon that sounds cool. Maybe I'm just tacky. Yeah. No, it's a fun way to deal with a demon, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, that's that's the end of Conviction 5.5, uh, but it's time for us to revisit the discussion question that we proposed um, about a week ago. Uh, talking about if a practitioner has vowed to serve a system, is it okay for them to break the rules of that system to help deal with magical entities that the rules don't account for? Yeah, we got a lot of varied responses to this, which I which I liked. Um, so one I'll just open with was from Kyrgyzstan, who says, yes, duh. Um, basically, <laughs> Kyrgyzstan argues that, um, you know, rules... Wait, the, the rules change, or, you know, not the rules of the system, but, like, what what's happening changes and the rules can't possibly account for everything especially in a world like pact so mm. sticking to the written word of the rules rather than the spirit of them is is kind of short-sighted yeah uh yeah which exactly makes sense to me yeah yeah and this is similar to what to what i agree and to what another user sandwich said which is basically look you can break the rules but <laughs> it, it's because if the rules don't account for something and you're trying to keep the spirit of it you know do it as long as you're not being a huge dick about it which is you know, basically what I what I kind of agree with. Um, well, and is obviously directed specifically at Duncan, I think. Uh, no. That, that end bit there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we had the Venom Rex, uh, who fell completely on the opposite side, uh, and, and mm-hmm. I think actually made some good points. So uh, the Venom Rex basically says, no, like the whole point of like systems like this, like having the police, is basically acknowledging that they do better as a system that's beyond the individuals and that, you know, the rules aren't necessarily perfect, but hopefully they're better than the average and, and better mm-hmm. than just complete anarchy. And so, like, corrupting that set of rules is essentially, you know, corrupting that system and, and taking away from what it actually represents. Um, and, and so, you know, that they argue for strict uh, adherence to the letter of the law, basically, because, you know, I think I think the Venom Rex would rather change the system than... Uh, you know go around it basically and i i i get that sentiment but i do think that you know this specifically talking about the police impact this is a system that the rules can't change right the rule that you can't change the laws to make them account for magic because of all the reasons why we can't just let everybody know about magic right well i mean you know things could be phrased differently to account for it i guess what would be would be how i'd see mm. that working and someone like Laird, who's chief of police, and uh, I'm presuming in the world of Pact that a couple of world leaders and stuff are, are probably aware uh, of the of the real world. So I imagine there would be the ability to uh, adjust the phrasing of stuff so that it accommodates at least the majority of supernatural situations. I, I think this feeds into another answer that we got from Cal Subalu, who who points out like, yeah. You know, like you can set up rules that that practitioners might have to follow, but if if you have these systems being administered by non-practitioners, 
it's it's so easy for a practitioner to just like change a word or two of their vow and then they totally just avoid committing to the laws of of that system right yeah if they don't repeat it exactly they could switch one word out and it basically gets them gets them in, or creates a loophole yeah totally and so i i think unless you have a system where practitioners are the are set up and are the arbiters of it um which kind of isn't really feasible for a lot of these things i i don't think you can i i don't think it's possible to make a system account for magical entities and, and therefore like the rules of that system, in my opinion, can't be can't be always upheld. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I I tend to agree. I think the the world of pact is so without hard rules that uh, trying to create a system that accommodates for them in any way that isn't super vague uh, is is a tough call. Um, yeah. I and, and so Cal Subalu actually just brought up another thing which I which I thought was worth mentioning. Uh, they were talking about how in this symbolic world that pact has. Uh, presumably, uh, like you know, the what, what's the word? Like, uh, you know, bits of office, like being a politician or the chief of police, mm. give has a certain amount of power because of the power of that system. Uh, yeah. and so if you corrupt the concepts of that system too much by breaking the rules too often, you're going to take power away from that system, and that system is probably granting you power in some form. Uh, yeah, and, and I think we've. Sarah Penguin sort of uh, had some quotes that basically imply, or that have led basically implying that that's a benefit he gets, as well as added yeah, responsibilities definitely. he gets added uh, power from the local spirits as the chief of police. Uh, so, yeah, yeah like that's that's an interesting uh, additional angle to this question. Is actually you may it may be against your interest to do this too much. Yeah, and and we. You know, we don't get confirmation of this, but it's totally possible that that is kind of what happened with Duncan, right? I mean, he broke the rules pretty badly, and it went mm. pretty badly for him in the end. Um, I, I don't think it's hard. It, it's it's not hard to imagine that that breaking the rules of these systems kind of can be self correcting in in terms of being a dickling about it, as Sandwich said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah, a lot of interesting discussion questions. I. You know, we're never going to get to a black or white system when we talk about morality, but it's always interesting <laughs> to hear what other people think. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that brings us to the end of our of our discussion of Conviction 5.5. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we have been Elliot and Ruben, and if you want to check out more of our stuff, you can check out our Twitter, which is at MediaMT Podcast on Twitter. Yes, uh, and you can find out more about us uh, and the rest of the shows on the Doof Media Podcast Network by heading to doofmedia.com. Yeah, actually, speaking about other shows, Elliot, something that happened this chapter that I really loved was the segment when Blake was stuck in the stairwell, you know? Um, I guess I just really like media where characters run up and down stairs a lot. Do you have any, any other kind of media like that that you could recommend to me? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, well, now that you mention it, uh, I have seen this mm-hmm. movie recently called Rocky, uh, and in the movie Rocky, the character Rocky runs up and down a whole bunch of stairs. And do we get a chance to talk about that movie as well, Elliot? <laughs> yes. Uh, so in our other show, Medium D, we recently discussed Rocky uh, with our uh, fellow Doof Squad member, Scott Daly. Uh, so yep. you can check that out and you can hear Scott talk about the movie he loved and, and see what we thought about it too. Uh, he called it his favorite movie of all time, right? Um, yes. So high praise. And it's uh, you know it's always fun to get people on and have them talk about things that they're passionate about. So uh, definitely check out that episode if you're interested in more stairs-based uh, pieces of media. 
Um, and of course, the Doof Network only exists because of our patrons who support us. Um, if you'd like to be one of those patrons and help us out, uh, help us keep creating content that you hopefully are enjoying, if you've listened to, gosh, what is now another 40-minute episode, um, if you'd like <laughs> to help support the show, you can head on to patreon.com slash doofmedia. You get a bunch of cool perks, as well as just taking away that feeling of guilt that you get for listening to a show that you don't contribute to. Yeah, and speaking of Patreon, uh, Wildbow also has a Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbow. Uh, we're coming up soon on eight years that uh, Wildbow's been wow. writing basically two two to three chapters a week, almost without yeah. a break, uh, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, and, you know, he deserves some compensation for all these great stories that he's uh, churned out in that time. Yeah, totally. Um, of course, if you don't have the means to support us or Wildbow on Patreon, there are other things you can do. Uh, for us, you could review us on iTunes. That would be helpful to get uh, to get this show out in front of more people. For Wildbow, I'm sure there are ways that you can vote, either on uh, Top Web Fiction or just kind of spread the good word, you know? Maybe share a uh, uh, the first episode of We've Got Worm and try and get people hooked into that. Yeah, tell a friend. Don't tell them quite how long it is, because that usually scares yeah. them off. Yeah, no. Just to leave that in out. In my experience, give them just give them the first few arcs of a pact or a or a or a worm, and and just let the beauty of the story do the rest, right? Yeah, let it draw them in. Uh, yeah, and so if you want to talk about Pact, uh, specifically the chapter five point five, mostly um, mm-hmm. or anything else, uh, you can do that mostly, in the discussion yep. thread in in the show notes below. Um, but yeah, until until next time, which by by chance will be 5.6 when we talk about that on Monday the 22nd. Uh, until next time, we'll see you then. See ya.